Welcome back to another episode of Ecumenical. My name is Peter Holm, and today we're going to talk about heresy and just how bad it really is for us. Now, before we get started, uh, please make sure that if you like all the content we generate, smash the like button down below, subscribe to the channel, keep commenting so that we can go and get feedback to all y'all, and try to bring more people in, let them understand more about the Catholic faith and what is Christian and what is not. Happy to help. So, without further ado, heresy is kind of a big deal. Maybe you've heard the word, don't really understand what it all means. Well, let me help you out. Heresy is defined by the church as an obstinate denial or doubt after baptism of a truth which must be believed by those adhering to the divine Catholic faith. Now, we can see that in Canon 751. So, canon law is good in terms of telling us what we should and shouldn't do and how to stay in line with what the church commands uh, in accordance with the authority that God has given her to perpetuate, to protect his truth. Now, heresy itself derives from a Greek word, heresies, which means to choose. Now, choosing what? What we're focusing on here is choosing one's own path. Because, sure, we all have free will. Free will's great. Love free will. And in the end, justice and mercy are all going to be aligned from God based on how we exercise our free will. If we do not choose, though, to sacrifice our own will, to sacrifice the old man, to kill the old man, so that we can then become new in Christ with the new man, in accordance with God's teachings and truths, if we can't make that change, in the end we're choosing the old way, the corrupt way, the way that Adam and Eve started, and ultimately the way of the devil. Choosing on our own means we're actually separating our will from the will of God. We're going a different way versus to him. What's the deal? Like, what is, how does this all transpire now and cause problems? Well, when we look at heresy and its effects, it ultimately results in spiritual murder when the individual believing it will not deviate from that heresy. And in the similar vein, they're committing murder when they actually go, so not just suicide on themselves, and taking themselves out of a state of grace, uh, at, actually in an argument with God, it's a bad place to be. They're also committing murder against anyone who is weak in their faith or questioning their faith or wanting to learn the truth who ultimately then receives this heresy and then takes it as gospel, even though it's false and it's against God. So in the end, they're not only hurting themselves, they're hurting everyone they spread the heresy to. So heresy is something to be very concerned about. And this is one of the reasons why we have to be very strong in our faith. Now, spiritual murder seems really like a big deal. Worse even than probably physical murder in this world, right? Why? Because, well, if I die here, I still have a chance, depending on how I died here, I can still go to heaven for eternity, which means the death was over in a, you know, a blink of an eye by comparison to eternity. However, for eternity, you can't recover when I, after you go to hell. That's it one and done, right? So what's the penalty from the church for holding on to heresy? Well, we see that in Canon 1364. So section one focuses specifically on an apostate from the faith or heretic or a schismatic incurs a late sentie excommunication without prejudice to the provision of Canon 194. Canon 94, by the way, uh, looks specifically at clerics who have publicly defected uh, from the truth of the religion itself. So when we look at 
what this means for punishment, a cleric, moreover, may be punished with the penalties mentioned in Canon 1336. Canon 1336, by the way, um, is how a diocesan bishop can remove faculties from a priest. So it's bad enough, heresy in and of itself, that bishops can remove faculties of priests so they cannot be allowed to claim anything that even remotely looks official in terms of their behavior. They have to be separated from the church, excommunicated, and they're out. Okay, So what I'd sit there and say is, okay, I'm looking at the canon of 1983 here. So John Paul II and all of his work, question becomes now, is this canon some sort of aberration or an add-on to the Catholic religion? Something new? No. This is something that's been here from the very, very beginning. This is something Christ put in place. Matthew 28.20 in the Great Commission tells us to do all he commanded. And when we say do, thinking is an action. So doing and thinking, it goes together. If you're going to think something, if you're going to teach something, you're going to believe something, you're going to perpetuate that onto other people, that all falls into the do all I've commanded that Christ has given us. He didn't say do some of it, do whatever you like, whatever feels good. The rest of it just, eh, you can get rid of it. This is not a buffet line. Christianity is not about, I like this, I don't like that, I'm going to keep this, I'm going to get rid of that, I'm going to practice this, I'm going to ignore that, and I'm actually going to speak out against this other thing. No, no, no. <laughs> we have to go with all of it, the entirety, every last thing. We don't accept just part of Jesus and throw the rest out. We accept all of Jesus or none of Jesus. There's nothing in between our final destination, our eternal destination, is dependent upon either acceptance of Jesus Christ in his entirety or rejection of Jesus in his entirety. There's nothing in between here. Now, it may look that way from our own imperfect views, but it is not anything other than all or nothing, okay? This is why James can confidently tell us in chapter 2, verse 10, that anyone who violates even part of the law is guilty of breaking all of it. All right, this is why Paul tells us in the book of Acts 13.46, those who reject the truth of Jesus Christ from the mouths of the bishops are condemned. All right, there's, there's not really any way to mince words here. We're either all in and we believe what Jesus told us and through the apostles and his church, or we're not in, we're out. It's that simple. Now, if we look at the bishops that would follow the apostolic era, so you're talking about Irenaeus of Lyon. Now, this is Bishop Irenaeus, the end of the second century, 150 years after Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. He was instructed by Polycarp of Smyrna. This is the same Polycarp of Smyrna, by the way, who's mentioned by John the Evangelist in the book of Apocalypse as the angel of Smyrna. Irenaeus mentions being educated by Polycarp. So Irenaeus is, what, two steps removed from the apostles and is telling us about heresy in his major work, known as, original title here, Against Heresies. So he's telling us, this is everything we've seen as of, it's around 188 AD is when it's published. He says, hey, these are all the things we've seen in all the different groups and what they believe and how it's not really aligning itself to Christianity, what Jesus gave us. So this is the first place we see the four 
gospels put together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He calls them out. We don't see at any time earlier in history where they're all together in one group and referenced. Irenaeus of Leon does that. Well, he starts giving us a bunch of detail about our religion that ties a bunch of questions together, okay? So this is a bishop, a Catholic bishop, in basically this is Gaul. So this is the Roman Empire, one of the last ones, by the way, that, to be uh, writing in Greek. Uh, he actually is giving us a bunch of information about heresy, okay? One of the quotes he gives is he talks about the fact that every heretic, quote, stands self-condemned, resisting and opposing his own salvation. Okay? Just like James said, just like Paul said, just like Jesus said, it's all or nothing. You gotta follow the entire thing or nothing. Okay? Her heretics are standing opposed to truth. They're standing outside of the protection, the umbrella of the church. Now, he also has another quote here, and he talks about those people rejecting the entirety of the truth given us by Christ, who is the truth, as John 14, 6 says, he said this because heretics reject the entirety of the truth and are, quote, opposed to the uniform teaching of the church, which remains so always and is consistent with itself. What does that mean? He's saying that heretics are standing against the timeless teachings of the church herself. The church teachings are consistent and have always been consistent and non-contradictory. And if anyone has an issue with those teachings and says, well, here's a contradiction or here's a contradiction. And the grand scheme, the contradictions actually are because of our misunderstandings and our faults and our own weaknesses in understanding. That is not a fault of the church. We can't sit there and say the divine has an issue because I don't understand and can't comprehend and can't see the divine. Right. If we all agree to that, then anything that comes out of divine teachings through the church, because the church is a divine institution, Regardless of the fact that the men are flawed and the laity, I'm talking whether it's clerics or laity are flawed, the grand scheme here, the church's teachings are divine and perfect and timeless. They don't contradict each other. And if we contradict them, we are the person standing in opposition, in conflict with God and his bride, the church. Not a place we want to be. Irenaeus witnessed what we Catholics now see today in what we're seeing today, specifically in the heresy going every which way. There are 47,000 plus denominations of non-Catholic congregations, all right? They say non-denominational, they say all their names to title themselves, but in the end, they are not in obedience to the divine office that is the Pope. They are not in obedience to the bishops in their local diocese. They are not getting instruction from those men who actually have had hands laid on from Jesus Christ, who've had holy orders, etc., etc., they're outside, okay? Irenaeus sees all this breakdown and this scattering and shattering of the flock so that you're now seeing all this weird set of beliefs that don't align to the truth. Now, the thing that is hard here is we see these other people claiming to be Christian and then using our scriptures, Catholic scripture, against us, which is really weird. <laughs> but he looks at this problem as well and says, all right, we have the truth of Jesus Christ, but for some reason, these heretics are flipping it on us and they're trying to tell us it means something else. So when he talks about scripture, he says, quote, so firm is the ground upon which these gospels rest that the very heretics themselves bear witness to them 
and starting from these documents, each one of them endeavors to establish his own peculiar doctrine. Now, if every single guy out there decides to take the scripture, the Bible, and bases his entire religion on the Bible, and he says over and over that my faith rests here in this book, um, but he comes up with his own interpretation, then how far does this go before there is actually no order and no law? Because one person's going to say, well, he means real bread, but he means a symbol. He means that we shouldn't murder, but nah, the womb doesn't really count. And you just keep going through all these different dichotomies. He means love each other, but it doesn't really matter all the particulars of your relationship and whether you're even married or what you call marriage or if you're married to an animal or something else. It doesn't matter, right? We don't have the luxury to interpret Scripture for ourselves. That is left to the church. We do not have the ability to hold on to the truth and defend it ourselves. The only way we can defend truth is if we fall back on the church who has the divine protection of the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ, the head, all of this other stuff. We can only be truthful in that body. If we start to separate and walk away, we start to do our own thing, we start to be overconfident in ourselves, everything else fails. We have to fall back on the church. We cannot take part of it. We have to take all of it. That's what Irenaeus is telling us. Now, all of this is why the church has to stand completely opposed to all manner of heresy, no matter what. There are multiple church fathers that talk about this. And then in addition to the church fathers talking about it, we see here from the Third Council of Constantinople, so this is uh, 680 uh, AD, we read the following. If any ecclesiastic or layman shall go into the synagogue of the Jews or the meeting houses of the heretics to join in prayer with them, let them be deposed and deprived of communion. If any bishop or priest or deacon shall join in prayer with heretics, let him be suspended from communion. Now, how many of you have heard anything like that? out of either your priests themselves to tell you, hey, you probably shouldn't join into the worship of the, with the heretics. We probably shouldn't commend the worship of the heretics. And the worship of the heretics, like to join in, is so bad. Like even if we're joining in prayer with them, when the prayers are not focused, the prayers are not Catholic, it's so damaging that we're actually excommunicating ourselves. Has anyone ever told us that? Because no one has ever corrected or changed that truth, that fact, that order from the Third Council of Constantinople. No one's ever rescinded it. So that still is in effect. Even the Second Vatican Council does not go to actually, not only, it doesn't change that, which is what Paul VI and John the Twenty-Third said, uh, but worse, there are parts of the Second Vatican Council that now contradict it. So things to question about where we are today versus where we are then. Because like I said, we have James, we have Paul, we have Jesus, we have Irenaeus, we have Third Council of Constantinople. There's kind of a pattern building here that heresy is really bad and God thinks it is really bad and unacceptable and we need to watch ourselves to avoid falling into heresy or schism. Now, did any of those punishments or threats that came out of Jesus or the apostles or the early bishops or the councils, did that stop the heresies? No, no it didn't. It got worse. We basically see heresies grow and grow and grow, and whether we're talking the Arian heresy, which had already been seen by the Council of Constantinople, or we're talking about the Nestorian heresy, which had already been there as well, and just keep going to the point where we see the Great Schism in 1054 of East and West dividing. We see the Protestant Revolution happening in the 1500s, so the middle of the 16th century, which would result in multiple wars and ultimately the collapse of Christendom. We see 
John Fisher in England, St. John Fisher. All right. So I'm going to look at him now for a little bit because he's very helpful in kind of seeing what the divide looks like in the 1500s. So why is John Fisher a big deal? John Fisher is a big deal because he is an English bishop in the time of Henry VIII. And actually from before Henry VIII even takes the throne. Uh, he is the bishop at Rochester and a very staunch defender of the Christian religion and very well educated. He happens to also be the confessor of Henry's mother. <laughs> so Henry VIII's mother is goes to John Fisher for confession. So there's a tight relationship here. Well, they believe also that Henry VIII's defense of the faith, when Martin Luther starts up, when Henry VIII would actually get the defender of the faith title from Rome, um, John Fisher may have actually played a heavy role in helping Henry to author that. Well, what ends up happening is not only does John Fisher start out defending everything from Martin Luther, but he ends up having to defend the faith against Henry VIII to the point where Henry VIII can't deal with him anymore. And ultimately, of all of the executions and, and death that happens in England, when England separates from the church, one of the top, if not the top victims next to Thomas More is John Fisher. John Fisher would be executed by Henry VIII, the only bishop that he would execute uh, in his breaking away and forming the Anglican Church. Now, back to John Fisher and what he said specifically. So a martyr uh, of our faith, a saint, uh, was writing some very powerful things against Martin Luther. So let's look at those here. Because he actually is starting to compare and look at uh, Martin Luther in the same vein as all the previous heretics. So let's see what he says. Quote, Such a cloud was Arius, who stirred up so great a tempest that for many years thereafter it vexed the Church of Christ. And after him came many other similar clouds, such as Macedonius, Nestorius, Eudices, Elvidius, Donatus, Jovinian, Pelagius, John Wycliffe, and many more who severely buffeted the church like tempests, every one of them in his own time. Such heretics, St. Jude in his letter calls, clouds without water, which are blown about by the wind, that is to say, clouds without moisture of grace, which are moved by the blast of wicked spirits. He's sitting there saying heretics are actually inspired by demons. That's how they got it. That's why they're actually pridefully walking away from the church and separating themselves out, which means anyone in association with those doctrines is now associating with the doctrines of devils and in conflict with God. This is not where we want to be, right? Okay, well, if we keep building on this ideology, what do the doctors of the church have to say? Because St. Thomas Aquinas also looks at the same problem. So this is not an isolated thing in an isolated era. So when we look at what St. Thomas has to say, what does he say? Accordingly, there are two ways in which a man may deviate from the rectitude of the Christian faith. First, because he is unwilling to assent to Christ, and such a man has an evil will. So to say, in respect of the very end, this belongs to the species of unbelief in pagans and Jews. Secondly, because though he intends to assent to Christ, yet he fails in his choice of those things wherein he assents to Christ, because he chooses not what Christ really taught, but the suggestions of his own mind. Hmm. So St. Thomas and Irenaeus are completely in union, saying these people are coming up with their own doctrines in their heads, and if you look at St. John Fisher, it's demonically inspired, as well as the vice is all playing into it. So 
as we can see, heresy is a grave matter, a really grave matter, planting seeds of doubt in weak minds and ultimately corrupting otherwise faithful subjects of the divine king, Jesus Christ. Okay, this is why we need to be very disciplined in how we live in terms of knowing that these are grave matters. Heresy is significant. That's spiritual murder if we fall into it or lead others into that heretical belief system. So everything we can do needs to come back to truth and focus on it. And then I'll add an, another quote here from Pope Leo XIII. What does he say should the penalty be for heresy? He says the death sentence is necessary and efficacious means for the church to attain its ends when rebels against it disturb the ecclesiastical unity, especially obstinate heretics who cannot be restrained by any other penalty from continuing to disturb ecclesiastical order. Wow. <laughs> so that's his preface to Volume 2 of the Book of Canon Law of 1901. Leo XIII isn't messing around, all right? That's very serious. And so I'm not saying that here, please don't misunderstand that all Catholics go to heaven or that we've done it all 100% right and that we're absolutely in perfect union with Jesus Christ because from day to day, we go in and out with all other sins and all manners of, of problems, and this is why we have our sacraments, and this is why we have to go and keep corrected. And ultimately, you know, it takes effort from all of us in union with Christ to actually make sure we go to heaven and everything's good. However, we know definitively that in heaven, everything in heaven is Catholic. And whether or not any one of us goes there is irrelevant to that fact. God is Catholic. His universal doctrines and religion are very boxed in. They're very finite. They are precise. There's nothing questionable about them. It's either in or it's out. Okay. And how do we know that? Because God has given us doctrines and a church to protect those doctrines that ultimately ensure that his truth lasts from generation to generation until he finally returns. Sacramental grace is what he gives us so that each individual can help protect and believe and do what needs to be done in that belief to be Catholic so that we can be healed of all of our ills, heresies and heretical beliefs included, so that we all may die well, right? And again, heaven, the only way we get there is in full truth. Now, how do we move forward with all of this, right? This is really big stuff here. We don't want to go the wrong direction this way or that way and end up in a position where we cause problems to ourselves and go to hell all because of beliefs that were misguided, that were false, that were demonic. We don't want that. So what we need to do is be very disciplined about understanding our religion. And even if we can only do a little bit at a time here and there, we take in sermons, homilies, and teachings that we know come from the church doctors and the church fathers that are already approved as they're magisterially stamped, right? They are the church. This is 2,000 years of history, and we can then cling to that knowing that it's truthful, okay? So let me close with this consideration from St. John Fisher, okay, in terms of thinking about how we move forward. He, he says here, quote, But the heretics have persecuted the church since Christ's ascension and will do so until the coming of Antichrist. Furthermore, the persecution by the heretics is and was much more perilous. The Jews and the tyrants were manifest enemies of Christ and abhorred his scriptures, but these heretics pretend a special favor toward Christ and color all their heresies with his scriptures. The Jews and the tyrants slew the bodies of Christians, 
yet they sent these Christian souls to everlasting glory. But the heretics, by misconstruing the scriptures of God, by their false doctrines and erroneous opinions and pestilential heresies, slay the souls of Christian people and send them to everlasting damnation. Wherefore, these words must be understood of the persecution that was made by the heretics. The whole point being here, and this is all written, all the quotes I'm giving from St. John Fisher, by the way, are from 1521 in his sermon against the pernicious doctrine of Martin Luther. Now, why do I say that? Because there's a few things that he, he leaves us with there, okay? We know definitively that these heretics have been doing this timelessly. From the moment <laughs> Jesus Christ was here teaching them that you can't go that way, otherwise that leads to hell. Uh, and if you want to come with me, you have to go and believe everything I tell you. Well, they didn't want to believe that. We see John Fisher tell us that these people have done many evils in their belief system and in their, their lives, their practices, their persecutions of Jesus Christ. Um, and they will martyr more Christians. They will persecute more Christians. And this will happen until the very end, until Antichrist returns, until after Antichrist finally is defeated by Christ himself. And then this all stops. And that's where I would say the last and most key point of his quote to take out of there is the fact that, look, martyrdom is a one-way ticket to heaven if we just stay true to the doctrines that Jesus Christ gave us. And if someone threatens us to turn us off of that path, we need to go and stick to the truth, even if death is the cost, right? It was for Jesus Christ. And if it is for us, that would actually be both a blessing and completely just for what we've done to come to this point. So we have many opportunities now to live a Christian life if we're willing to not go along with the spirit of the world and the weird ramblings and teachings and practices of the world, right? We need to be willing to separate it. We do not want to lose ourselves in this war that's waging right now around us where most souls around us will go to hell. And if we're not careful, we go with them. And we don't want to go because of heresy. So we must be educated. We must stay strong in our Catholic faith, our Catholic living. We must make sure that the church and her sacraments are a foundation of our life. Make sure that the Blessed Mother and our guardian angels and all the saints are actually key defenders and key pieces, key, key supports. Even if, they're, if we treat them almost as crutches, they help keep us up. They defend us. Let's make sure we're doing what needs to be done to be truthful and to die well. Now, if we look at St. Pius X and his work in Pashendi, and I'll make sure we have a link to that. So what he talks about there is it was a work against the modernists. Well, one of the things, and so modernists is what we're seeing everywhere right now. It's the synthesis of all heresy is modernism. And we're watching heresy of all forms come at us from every single direction and try and tell us this is what Catholicism is, even though it's not. Because we know Jesus was not a modernist. Jesus was timeless. God is timeless. His doctrines are timeless. There is good, there is evil, and it doesn't change with the times. So we stay anchored to Jesus Christ. We don't move with the modern times. Pius X was emphasizing this. Well, one of the things he does in that letter is he references and invokes Our Lady. The title he uses for her is the destroyer of all heresies. So what I would say is as we go forward and we educate ourselves and we build ourselves up and we try to stay away from the evil that is heresy and bring heretics back 
into the fold of the church, bring apostates back, do what we can to help teach them and help bring them into truth, the light of truth, the protection of the church, sacraments and the sacramental grace. These things can be done as long as we have help from the saints, right? So we use the support, invoke the support of our Blessed Mother under the title, Our Lady, Destroyer of All Heresies. This is so cool. So we have her there with that title to help us. So educate yourselves. Get strong in your faith. Make sure you practice your faith. Go to Mass. Take the sacraments. Make sure you know about the saints and who can help you. Ask your guardian angel. Ask the Blessed Mother. And like I said, when we ask the Blessed Mother, whether it's Our Lady of Sorrows, so we see through all the muck and figure out where the truth lies, or under her title, Destroyer of All Heresies, and ask for actual assaults against falsehood, we have so many ways to make this all come together so that we can die in truth, we can die well, and we can avoid heresy, the evil that it is, spiritual death, spiritual murder, we can stay out of that. But just have to commit to Christ, all in. Are you all in? I'm going to keep asking this. Please make sure you consider this. Are you all in or not? And if you have any hesitation, work through with Jesus Christ, with your confessor, with masses and the sacraments and the education and the saints. Work through it. Go all in. That's our only hope. All right? And that's the way we stay in truth. Now, hopefully that was helpful. If you have any questions, any concerns, thoughts, whatever, make sure to post it down below. I will go and respond however I can. Make sure to share this video so other people can understand what heresy is and why it's bad and how we can stay in light of truth going forward. All right. Subscribe to the channel, like the video. I appreciate all your help. Thank you all for watching. As always, may God bless us. May the Virgin protect us. Our Lady, destroyer of all heresies, pray for us. And St. Joseph, defender of the church, pray for us. All right. Have a good one, guys.